good to see you back this morning. Thank you so much for your attendance today. <clears throat> Love your singing. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen? Because Jesus is there. John chapter 15, we're reading the last words that he spoke to his disciples before he left to go to the cross. <clears throat> and uh, he was giving them some very, very precious words. You know, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. Amen? Amen. Until you're ready to die, until, until you know for sure that when this life comes to the end, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And this is what comforts us. Um, This is a picture of my wife and myself on our last Valentine's Day. I spoke at a banquet up in Wisconsin, and they were taking pictures of couples, so they <clears throat> took our picture. They then sent us a copy of it, and uh, one of our member couples here decided that after Ruth went to be with the Lord, I needed that on our kitchen table. So every day when I sit down to eat or study, our picture is there. Reminds me not only of the sweetness that we had here for 53 years, but it reminds me that there is still a future. Last Christmas, Jessica, my granddaughter here, gave me a Christmas ornament and it says, because someone we love is in heaven, there's a little bit of heaven in our home. Lily Ruth Huffman, 1943-2021. So I hang that on my mantle. So I can see that every day, amen? Because the most important thing for us to understand is Every one of us have a journey. My wife's journey was finished 21 months ago. I'm still on my last leg of my journey. How long will it last? I have no clue. My brother was killed at the age of 23, the day after he graduated from college. 23. But some folks live quite a bit longer. But we have no assurance of how long each one of us will live. That's why I said, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. Until you know that either you're going to pay for your own sins, and that's called a place called hell, or you're going to accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you personally and ask him to forgive your sins and become your savior, and it becomes a relationship. Whew. Songwriter said, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Amen? It's a relationship. And until the Lord takes us home, we said last week that God wants us to bear fruit. If you know Christ is your personal Savior, then, as we are going to be reading here in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine. You, my disciples, are the branches. And he wants each one of us to bear fruit. Let's, let's read these verses together. John chapter 15 Verse number one, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, 
He takes away. We saw last week that that means he lifts it up so that it can get in the sunshine, get rid of the mud. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so here we see in verses uh, 2 through 10 a new truth. Basically the truth is if your life, if your Christian life is bearing some fruit, then God is going to intervene and prune areas of self. Now last week we talked about sin and having to be disciplined. But today we're talking about the pruning process. And that's where God cuts away things concerning ourselves that are hindering greater growth. Now, this action, this pruning action, requires more faith on our part. Faith that, uh, that God is at work. Faith that that, um, that we do need more fruit. Faith that we can produce more fruit. And so some of us probably need a faith lift. Not, not a face lift, but a faith lift. So that we will accept God's work, we will accept his will, and we are basically saying, as the songwriter said, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. I am the potter, thou art the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Now, sometimes the pruning process is is misunderstood. <clears throat> because if we're living a clean, godly, separated, dedicated, what other words do you want me to add? You understand? If we're living that kind of a Christian life, but things are falling apart, and you're getting frustrated, and you're saying, Lord, I don't understand. What's the deal? Now, is it okay to talk to God like that? Did the psalmist David ever talk to God like that? Right? You ever feel that way? Like, Lord, I'm doing my best. I, I don't know of any known sin in my life. But then I get this doctor's report. Or, or, or then my 401k becomes a 101k. <laughs> and there's not much left, Lord. Or, or this relationship that I thought was developing. It's not. Or this great job opportunity that I've been praying about for months and somebody else gets it? And you want to say, un momento, por favor? 
Lord, what's, what, I don't understand this, Lord, what's wrong? And sometimes we feel, we feel like we're a loser. Sometimes we feel like, fine. But here's a principle I want you to learn. When lightning strikes on a mountaintop, it always hits the tallest tree. So, you're not a failure as a Christian. Just be assured that you're standing tall. And so lightning strikes the tallest tree. When you are taking a stand for Christ, what did Jesus say your life would be like? A bed of roses? I can't hear you. No! He said, I have been despised, and so therefore you will be... Oh, we don't like that verse, do we? You ever get to the point that you kind of say, you know, Lord, I don't like that verse. I just want to cut that one out of my Bible. Hmm. Because he was despised, if we are to follow his example, we will also be despised by those who despise Christ, by those who hate God, by those who do not like the godly lifestyle. We will make them look bad at times. And so they'll feel badly, they won't like it, and so they will attack. They may even lie about you. They may falsely accuse you. Did they ever do that to the master? Now there's nobody here but us, so we can talk. Did they ever do that to the Lord? Yes. Yes. So consequently, when you're standing tall, yeah, you're going to be attacked. And that's where you need new fruit. That's where you need to grow. And that's what the pruning process is all about. Now on your notes, you can see four principles in the pruning process. So start taking notes. Number one, God will not stop the pruning just because you don't understand the need. God will not stop the pruning process just because you don't understand the need. So as the Lord begins to, to, to cut some things out of your life, and we'll look specifically a little bit, a little bit further on as to what types of things those are, Sometimes you don't understand, well, I, I just don't, I don't understand that, Lord. Why, why has this been taken away? God will not stop the pruning process just because I don't understand the need. You with me? Sometimes it's health issues. I'm 77 years old. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't any fun anymore. You wonder, what do you do when you retire? You go to the doctors. Yeah. I was thinking yesterday about Christmas gifts for the doctor's offices, for the, all, the, all the nurses and secretaries that, that have been helping. I'm thinking, my soul. I'm going to have to buy a busload of stuff. I've got five doctor's offices that I go to. And I've got another one that they're trying to line up for me. Is, is, that, is that fun? But could that be part of the pruning process? Are you with me? Can God touch your body and it be okay? Mm. It's okay if God touches somebody else's body, right? Lord, touch him. <laughs> and God says, nope. 
I'm going to deal with this in your life. And this is the way that I've chosen to do it. Can you think of somebody in the Old Testament that wrestled with God all night long? And after he said, okay, Lord, bless me. And God changed his name from Israel, or excuse me, from Jacob to Israel. Jacob meant somebody who tricks people. Somebody who can't be trusted. That was the name, meaning of the name Jacob. And he changed his name to Israel because he said, you have power with God and power with men. And don't you know, his heart leaped with joy like, yes! But what, God, what, what did God do in that same process? He touched the hollow of his thigh. And began to limp. How long did uh, he limp? Until he died. So every morning he gets up with that limp. But he's reminded, I don't have to trick people to get power and get position. I now have God. So who did he meet that day after he started limping? He met his brother Esau with 400 soldiers who were coming out to meet him and it wasn't going to be a welcoming party. Esau said, after daddy dies, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. That was the threat. So now he's going out to, to, to meet his brother Esau and he's thinking, I, I, can't, I can't even hardly stand on my own two feet to, to fight. Lord, what am I going to do? And God says, what's your name? Power with God and power with men. And what did God do? He changed the heart of Esau. Doesn't the Bible say, if a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him? Perfect example. Esau never attacked. He never threatened. And they were able to live together in the land in peace. But what did it take? It took a brokenness process. You see, God can't remake me until I'm broken. Now, do you pray for the brokenness process? <laughs> but can it happen anyway? Often, that's the only way God can get our attention to bring us to the end of ourselves before we realize the verse says, without me you can do nothing. Do you really believe that? Without God, all of your efforts, your personality, your education, your training... will not accomplish anything of great significance. Without me, you can do nothing. That's why the verses that we're going to refer to about abide in me are so important. But first of all, we will not begin to abide in him until we have allowed him to prune the growth process. So God will not stop the pruning just because you don't understand the need. Secondly, the greatest lesson we can learn, God is more concerned about future fruit than he is about our sensitivity about being pruned. God's more concerned about future fruit than he is about your sensitivity about being pruned. That's why the most important thing for us to do is stop being sensitive. Amen? Stop, stop complaining and whining and griping. And just say, Lord, whatever, whenever, it's okay. 
Third principle, the master must go against our own natural likes in order to get the product. The master must go against our own natural likes to get the fruit, to get the product. See, by nature, the, the, the grapevines always favor new growth of leaves over grapes. By nature, those vines will produce more leaves than you can ever possibly think about. And so consequently, the sun can never really reach where the fruit must form because it's covered over by leaves. So he has to go against our natural desires and likes. That's why we have to die to self. You remember Jesus? If any man would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Why do we need a cross? Because as we begin each day, we simply say, Lord, this day is yours. Whatever comes into my life, I will accept this from you. And so when we begin to, for the first time, face something that just really, and our old flesh begins to rise. And God says, stop. Get on the cross. Die to yourself. That's why he said, take up your cross. Because day after day after day after day, when the flesh wants to get control of my mouth, of my eyes, of my ears with gossip. He said, get on the cross. Die to yourself, your old fleshly nature, so that you can be living a resurrected life. You remember what Paul said? He said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, Philippians 4, uh, 3, 14. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We say, Lord, yes, give me that power. Oh, but then the next part is the fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah. So the pruning process will go against your natural likes. And then number four, if the main purpose of these grapevines were to look good, then the beautiful vines would be allowed to grow. But that's not the main purpose for the vines. The main purpose is not for the vines to look good. The main purpose is to produce fruit. You know, for us, Sometimes we just want to look good. You know, <laughs> we're into image, popularity. What are people going to think of me? You know, it's not about my image, but it's about His. For all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. So things fall apart, things are taken away, things are pruned away so that I can become more like Jesus. I'll never forget the illustration I heard years ago. A little boy was watching a, a sculptor work on a big block of marble and he just sat down, he watched, and the sculptor was with his chisel and his hammer, and he was just chiseling away, and, and he said, uh, Sir, he said, what, what, what are you making? He said, I'm making a horse, son. Oh. So he continued to watch. After a while, the little boy said, Sir, how do you know how to make a horse? He says, very simple. I just knock off everything that doesn't look like a horse. How are we made into the image of Christ? It just cuts away everything that doesn't look like Christ. 
like my temper? I was doing okay before I mentioned that, wasn't I? You were kind of enjoying this, weren't you? And then all of a sudden I said temper, and you're going, do you have a temper? Are you married? Should I ask your spouse? Should I ask your brother or sister? Don't look at them right now. Do you have a temper? Or, or maybe you don't have a temper. <clears throat> maybe yours just comes out in moodiness. This is what moodiness looks like. And you don't have to say a thing. Right? I told my boys when they were dating, I said, boys, understand what the look is. Because we didn't have any girls in our family, you know. So, so I, I said, this is what the look looks like. And when you see the look, you'll know, ooh. So, so what is it that doesn't produce fruit? Is it your lustful thinking? You say, well, I'm not doing anything about it. I, I, I don't ever... I don't ever bother anybody. I don't ever touch anybody. I, I don't ever go anywhere and do anything. It's, it's just right up here. The only problem is, the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Blew. Yeah. That's how God describes us then. According to what we think. So, it's not my image, but it's his. <laughs> so, so, if you're asking God, Lord, Lord, give me super abundant blessings, you're asking for the pruning shears. That's what you're asking for. Now, let's talk about the methods of pruning. The methods of pruning, it's removing growth that is dead or dying. Removing growth that is dead or dying. So for us, it's like cutting away those parts of our lives that drain us of unnecessary time or worry. Cutting away those parts of our lives that drain us of unnecessary time or worry. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe it's an excess of entertainment. Maybe it's an excess of sports. And sometimes the Lord kind of has to cut away those things because they are taking away too much time. Or, or <clears throat> maybe it's, I've got plenty of time to read, but no time to witness. No time to witness. Somebody said, less time on Facebook and more time with your face in the book. All right? Just putting the phone down. Just turning the computer off. And just simply saying, Lord, you said be still and know that I'm God. Father, I, I need to have more stillness in my life. You know, he never prunes at random. He, he never just, just cuts away when we had rose bushes, I didn't know what to do with rose bushes. I thought, just leave them alone and, you know, they'll produce roses. That's all you got to do. And Ruth said, honey, we need to prune those bushes back. I said, why? They, they did great this year. And she said, they did great this year. But to get them ready for next year, we need to prune off. And I'm going... That doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly what you have to do. You prune those bushes back to the point they're ugly. All the, all the roses are gone. And then you cut off all the leaves and branches. With, and you're going, what in the world? 
And sometimes when the Lord is pruning in my life, I don't feel really great about it. But he never prunes at random. We saw last week that, that discipline is when he's dealing with sin. But pruning is when he's dealing with self. Issues of myself. Character issues. When our boys were in the, in the home, my wife would have a character trait every week that she would say to the boys, here's the definition of this character trait. Now, every night when we sit at the supper table, let's talk about how that character trait helped us today or we should have used that character trait or shown that character trait today. So we'd cover one character trait a week, 52 a year. I don't think it's an accident that our three sons are all three pastors, all three serving God. I don't think it's an accident. We could never call them into the ministry, didn't, didn't plan on it. But we simply said, Lord, if you ever want to call them into the ministry, help us to train their character so that they will say yes and they will be ready with a life of an example that could be a good pastor. Now see, here we're talking about pruning self. Here we're talking about <clears throat> having the supper table where we're, we're not just talking about what happened that day, but we're simply saying, is there anything in the Bible that applies to what happened today that we can learn some lessons from? My, my dad used to call it family worship. It's an old-fashioned term. Family devotions, whatever you want to call it. But it was a dedicated time on purpose to try to think about what can we teach our boys that would help them to develop a heart for God. It doesn't make a difference what activities they're involved in. Doesn't make any difference what memory verses they may they, they memorize. Is their heart changed? That was our goal. And so the methods that are used. We have to make sure that the sunlight can get to all the fruit bearing branches. <clears throat> so so we basically have to say, Lord, what in my life? What in my life? is keeping your light from getting to me. What do I need to turn away from? What do I need to say no to? And then we ensure the size and the quality of the fruit. We ensure the size and the quality of the fruit. Because... The Bible's teaching that you might bear fruit, then it says more fruit, then it says much fruit in these 10 verses. So God is always working in our lives. And we said last week, every issue in life is a fruit issue. You remember that? Every issue in your life <clears throat> is a fruit issue. Whatever you're dealing with right now, just stop and say, okay, Lord, what fruit is it that you're trying to develop? Is it patience? Do we need patience? Yeah. See, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Right? So, what fruit is it that God is trying to develop? And then we, of course, encourage that new fruit to develop. Now, let's talk about misunderstanding God's methods. Sometimes when we confuse discipline with pruning, it can be disastrous to your spirit. 
Because if God is pruning something in your life, and, and, and you're saying, Lord, um, I don't know of any sin. I, I don't understand. What's up? You know, okay, he may not be dealing with discipline, may not be dealing with sin, but he's pruning. So if no sin is apparent, then give the Lord permission to simply do whatever he wants to do whenever and however. Right? See, at the end of my life, when I get to heaven, I want to hear him say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Amen? And that's why when you, it seems like you've been put into an oven, when the heat is just killing you, and you're saying, Lord, oh, God, please get me out of this, this oven of persecution and, and, and misunderstanding. Lord, oh, Lord, please, Lord, it's too hot in here. Lord, I've been in here too long. Somebody said, when God pulls you out of the oven, he wants to be able to say, well done. Well done. And so he won't pull you out of the oven until you're well done. And so we just need to say, Lord, whatever you want. See, early pruning deals with outward activities and priorities. Early pruning. Mature pruning deals with personal values and your identity. Personal values and identity. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. He says in verse number two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now this sounds really strange. Count it all joy when you're going through trials. (laughs) For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, but if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will ever receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And so he says in verse number five, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He won't make fun of you, but he will give you wisdom concerning what's going on in this trial. And so the testings of faith are various trials and hardships that invite you to surrender something of great value to God, even when you have every right not to. I'll read that again. Testings of faith are various trials and hardships that invite you to surrender something of great value to God, even when you have every right not to surrender it. (laughs) So, God is simply saying, there's no testimony without a test. You want to have a testimony for the Lord? Then you're going to have a test. A test. The instructor is always silent. You don't ask questions to get answers from the instructor during the test. You don't go, and the instructor goes, why? You're in the middle of a test. After the test is over, the instructor can give you some instructions, some help. But in the midst of a test, no. And when you and I are going through a test, God is testing our faith, as we saw in James chapter 1. That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, the test of your faith really doesn't test anything unless it pushes you past your last test. The testing of your faith really doesn't test anything unless it pushes you past your last 
test. I'm 77. I've been saved 71 years. I used to think that by the time I got to this age, I'd pretty well have the Christian life figured out. I'd be able to say, okay, Lord, I'm good. No more tests necessary, Lord. I got this down. Boy, was I ever wrong. Because the older we get, the more mature in Christ we should get. Therefore, the more harder the test to make us more steadfast, more immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen? So the tests that little children face are nothing like the tests that PhD students face. Nothing. But as they grow older and mature, the tests become stronger. The same thing is true for you and me. So whatever test I'm going to face now is always going to be a harder test than the test I passed last. So that means I need new grace for today. Amen? He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. So whatever test you're going through, ask God for the grace to pass so that your testimony can become stronger to be able to help others more. So when you're going through a hard time, stop asking God to get you out of this. Instead, pray, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? That's how you pray. Not, Lord, get me out of this. But, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? What do you want me to learn about yourself, Lord? What do you want me to learn about myself? What do you want me to learn about other people? Those are three prayers. Always to pray when you're going through trials. <laughs> Somebody said you don't have to pray for trials. They come naturally. But your response is everything. You don't have to pray for trials. They come naturally. But your response to your trials is prime points of pruning. Where, where is it that God sometimes can prune? Well, first of all, the people that you love the most. The people you love the most. When we would have baby dedications back when I was a, a pastor, I would hold the little baby and we'd have the couple standing on the platform with me. And I would say to them, God wants you to give back to him title deed to this baby. The baby doesn't belong to you. God belong, uh, the baby belongs to God. God gives you the baby to care for his baby, but it's his baby. And if God wants to take that baby in death, title deed has already been given back to God. If God wants to call that child to the mission field after college, you've already given God title deed to that child. So pruning sometimes means God is going to cut people that you love the most. I remember when I was talking to my mother and I said, Mom, I think maybe the Lord's calling our family to be missionaries. And I'd been pastoring in Georgia and she was living in Wisconsin. She, she always wanted me to to start a church up in Wisconsin. She said, son, we, we need churches up here. And I said, does it still snow up there? 
and she said, you aren't totally surrendered to the Lord. <laughs> so I said, Mother God's maybe calling us to be missionaries. And she said, where? I said, Australia. She said, where? I said, Australia. And she said, that's on the other side of the world, isn't it? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, uh, <clears throat> how often would you be able to come home? I said, about every four years. And she said, you're taking my grandchildren with you? I said, if we go, yes, ma'am. Now, what does mean from a mother? <laughs> you with me? She was struggling, right? She'd given title deed of my life to the Lord. Oh, but grandchildren. Oh, right? The people that you love the most. Maybe, maybe it's giving up the right to be married. To be married. Lord, Lord, I just... And God says, eh. Do you know it's not God's will that everybody be married? You with me? I had to give up the right, Lord, if you want me to be single the rest of my life, it's okay. I was still in college, junior in college. And so for then four months... There was nothing, no dating, nothing. Then one morning it scared me like, oh no. And then God answered my prayer. I think he wants me to be single. Maybe it's your right to know why God does what he does. Maybe he's pruning that away. Lord, I just need to understand, God says, nope. And demanding the right to know why God does what he does, maybe he just prunes that away and he says, nope. Or maybe it's your love for money or possessions. Or maybe, maybe it was your desire for significance. For Gideon, it was his large army. So God says, okay, down to 300. For Abraham, it was his miracle son. And God says, okay, put him on the altar and sacrifice him. For me, it was pastoring the largest independent Baptist church in Roanoke, Virginia. 1,335 members. Loved it. Sweet ministry. And all of a sudden, gone. Pruning. Pruning. Now understand this. It's only after you put it on the altar and walk away. That's in your notes now. It's only after you put it on the altar and walk away that God can either consume it or restore it, but only then does God become God to you. Only then does God become God to you. You put it on the altar. Yes. Oh, okay, you're praying, okay. Lastly, let's talk about your faith is lifted by abiding in Christ. Abiding is a, com is a command, it's not a suggestion. It's a command, not a suggestion. And in abiding, the, the source of activity changes. See, in pruning, God initiates and I respond. But in abiding, I initiate I pursue God, and the relationship is then built. You see the difference? In pruning, God initiates, and I respond to what he's pruning away, but in abiding, he says, if, I, if, if uh, uh, you abide in me and I in you, and my words abide in you, I initiate that by studying God's word. <clears throat> so when my relationship with the Lord becomes my first priority, my schedule will change to make that happen on purpose. That's a very important principle. My schedule will change. 
The last thing in your notes is this. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 to 38, reading them later, the Bible tells us that when the Israelites were going through the wilderness, every day they would stop after their journey, set up their tents. The tabernacle tent would be set up. The cloud, the pillar of fire, would always rest over the tabernacle. Every morning, the men of the, of the tent would walk out and they would look toward the tent. If the pillar of cloud rose up, that meant pack up your duds, we're traveling. If it hovered over the tabernacle, it meant they're staying one more day. Day after day after day, the men would walk out of their tent, look to see, are we traveling or are we staying? Here's the principle. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. But so are the stops. The stops are ordered by the Lord. And sometimes the Lord puts a stop on your journey. It's a part of his plan. Learn from the stops. Learn from the times when he says, whoa. Learn from the times where he says, I want you to rest in the field. I want you to just gain some nourishment. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Sometimes we want to just keep on moving. We don't like to stop. And God says, sometimes it's in the stops that you learn more about me than in the go. Go.